Today marks the first day, the first day of a great anniversary month of when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg door. We talked about that in a previous sermon series. See, Martin Luther, he was a professor at the University of Wittenberg in Germany, and, and after much study and much prayer, Luther got to a point where he was just fed up. He was fed up with what the Catholic Church was doing in his time and how they were acting. And so he wrote down propositions. He wrote down a whole bunch of things that he felt needed to be corrected and needed to be realigned with Scripture. And when you study, when you look at those 95 different things that he wrote down, a few pop out to me. A few, like, like just come out and say, wow, these are, these are some of the main points that I take from his 95 theses. One of them were indulgences. An indulgence is, is a way, quote, a way to reduce the amount of punishment one has to undergo for sins. People would pay money for people that have previously died to reduce their temporal punishment after death so they didn't have to stay in purgatory as long. Let me explain it this way. Uh, Reggie, come on up here, buddy. You always sneak up to the front anyway. All right, we got Reg here. Okay, Reg, you, because of all the sneaking you've done to come in front of this church, you're in trouble. And you cannot move off of that chair. Okay? You have to spend time there. You have to, have to stay there. And you don't get to come out of this chair. Ever, maybe. Okay? However, if you give something back to the church, you might be able to do it. But you're already there. You're already in the chair. You needed to do it before you got into the, into the seat. And you can't ask anyone for help because you can't communicate with them. So what I would do now as a, uh, um, a professional partner, a professional for the church, I would go out to different people. This is what was happening in Martin Luther's time. I'd go out to different people and I'd say, you probably want to help Reggie. Reggie doesn't, may not know you or Reggie does know you. Maybe he's close to you. But Reggie's in trouble. He's stuck in a place called purgatory. He's stuck, and he can't get himself out of it. So I would go and find a rich person. I'd look around, and I'd say, hmm, you. Did you know that Reggie is in trouble, and he needs your help? Okay, he is. And I know that you want to help. You see, the whole thing is, is that I want to help fix my church. I have, a, I have a big church project coming, so I need to make a whole bunch of money for it. And the, and, and the Pope said, this is one way we're going to actually get money in this scenario. So I'm going back to my rich friend. Hey, 
Titus, you can help your friend Reggie. All it's going to take is $20. Do you have $20? All right, give, give it to me, and, and we'll help. We'll help him. Let's see. $10, $15, dollars All right, thank you. Reggie thanks you too. Okay, but I wouldn't be done. Because you know what? That was my rich friend, but I don't want to leave money on the table. No, I don't want to leave any money on the table, so I'm going to go after the poor relatives as well. Hey, there's his sister. And I'd walk over to his sister, and I'd say, wow, you know what? I know some bad things Reggie did, but you can help him. He's stuck. You know what? He might not even be saved. With your $5, you can help Reggie. Are you willing to help Reggie? $5. And I got my $5. You see, what I did there is I just garnered getting people riled up and thinking they're helping Reggie. When, who helps Reggie? Jesus Christ was going to help Reggie prior to him dying. But the church was going around. And the church was selling these indulgences for crazy amounts of money where they were gaining and, and, and becoming extremely wealthy. And Luther got upset about that. Thanks, Reggie. Can you give Reggie a hand? He's free! Wow, he has a great friend and good sister. But that's how it was done Martin Luther, and he was just fed up with it, and so he wrote a 95 Theses, and, and in that he just talked about these indulgences and said, this is out of control. This isn't scriptural. This isn't what the Bible's teaching. But then, if I could narrow it down to two different, two different uh, items in his 95 Theses, the 62nd and the 65th on his list of 95. The 62nd, in the modern-day translation, would say, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. The true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel and the glory and grace of God. And the 65th, therefore the treasures of the gospel are nets are nets with which one formerly fished for men of wealth. The gospel isn't used to gather money. The gospel is used to spread the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what Martin Luther was talking about. That's why he, he did this. And Martin Luther, he had a clear understanding that his job that his job, that our job, that the people of the church, that their job was one thing, was to spread the gospel, was to spread the good news, was to help people understand that people can gain the beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit by submitting to Jesus Christ. And when you help other people, that's just pure joy. So the question before we even begin, is do you trust that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I don't think I could say that enough. I could ask that question enough. 
2.2 billion people, billion with a B, in this world say that they are Christians. 70.6% of the people in the United States in 2017, when they were surveyed, 70.6% of the people said that they were Christian. That's how they identify themselves, as Christian. And if I were to guess, I'd say a majority of our community would proclaim the same thing. That they'd say, yeah, I'm Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. But do you think a majority of people are following Jesus Christ? Trusting that Jesus Christ is their Savior? The trusting that Jesus Christ died on the cross? That he rose from the dead? That that Jesus Christ was absolutely perfect and that they weren't? See, that's where people get hung up. Because I'm better than that guy down the street. I'm good enough. If we, if you are a Christian, not just by title, but in the truest sense, you have an absolute crucial job to do. Your job, you are to faithfully spread the gospel. That's your job. I think we have it on there. It, it's, it's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to faithfully spread the gospel. We're going to look at today's scripture. It's found in, in Acts chapter 2. It's many verses. Verses 14 through 41. We're not going to read them all in one spot so you can stay seated. We're going to dig through this. We're going to go through chunks, and hopefully between my simple thoughts and, and your bright minds, we're going to take something from this, and we're going to actually apply it, uh, not next week or, or the week after, but we're going to apply it today, and we're going to hopefully have an opportunity today to, to utilize it. So last week, last week we talked about the great noise that came in. I told you about the tornado that, at our house or the loud sound. There was this noise that was so loud that the whole house shook. It was so loud that the people in the streets down, down the road, two blocks away, three blocks away, they heard this crazy sound, and it was the pouring of the Spirit onto 120 people. But it was a great sound that, that caused people to turn and look and, and walk toward it and, and gather together. And, and, and then after the sound, the Holy Spirit not only poured and baptized the people in the Spirit, but it also filled the people. And when it filled the people, they had nothing else to do except for to give glory to God. And part of their glory of God, they started speaking languages. Absolutely amazing. Over a dozen languages were identified that were being spoken. I suggest that there were many more. And, and they were speaking it beautifully. All these people, these Galileans, somehow speaking another language that they didn't even know that was in them, but the Holy Spirit gave them that gift. And the people that were hearing and that were listening, they were astonished. They were amazed. 
They were perplexed. But some of the people, some of the people, they thought they were drunk. They thought they were foolish. <coughs> but it was at this moment that the apostles, including Peter, they walked out of the home into the street, I, I imagine, into a large crowd. And Peter, and probably the others, started speaking, started preaching. In fact, Peter, he, 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 this is like the sermon that kicks off the entire church. Absolutely amazing. We could take so much information from this sermon. Peter confidently speaking about God. You think about it, 53 days earlier. 53 days before this particular day, Peter was scared of a servant girl in the streets. I always imagine it being a little girl, kind of like Molly. Maybe I've seen that in a video or something. Warming her hands at a fire. <laughs> yeah, I must have seen that in a video. And he was scared. He, he, he denounced Christ. He said, oh, I don't even know who you're talking about. And now he's coming up in front of truly thousands of people and boldly proclaiming Jesus. See, Peter, Simon, as he was, he was impulsive and insecure, scared, as we saw. Many times, as I like to say it, he over-promised and under-delivered. He interrupted people. He just didn't have that knack for knowing when to speak. There's several of those qualities, actually, you'd want in someone given a sermon who are bold and, and strong. But others, you'd be like, ooh, we don't want him speaking for the church. But that's the beauty. God uses people from all different kinds of backgrounds. He uses people with all different skills, with all different abilities, with all different flaws to be able to promote the greatest thing in the world, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. If God can use Peter and God can use someone like me to preach the gospel, he can use all of us. I guarantee that. The great part about it is that we don't have to do the work. That's the beauty of it. If you're asked to, to share the gospel with somebody in whatever fashion, you don't have to do any work at all. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit that dwells within you will do the work. You just try to obey. That's beautiful. Friends, if we were to faithfully spread the gospel, we need to understand the significance of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand the significance of the Holy Spirit. It's the first thing that Peter addresses in his sermon, and I'm going to read this portion, Acts 2, 14 through 21. So if you have your Bible, you can follow along, Acts 2, 14 through 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven lifted up his voice and addressed them. I wonder how loud he had to talk. 
Pastor Dave and I usually come up here if, if we're doing uh, communion or, or we're, we're doing announcements and we don't use a microphone because we're loud. I'm a former PE teacher and we had to be loud in PE. I wonder how loud Peter was that day. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words for these people are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day. That's nine o'clock. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens and above the signs, and above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember, our point today, our point today is to understand the gospel, understand it more clearly and more definitively, and to understand our great need to share it. Just as Martin Luther was commenting in the 95 Theses, our job is to cast a net, the gospel, onto, and become fishers of men. To spread the gospel is crucial. And to understand the significance of the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit was foretold by the prophet Joel. It was foretold by the prophet Joel. Peter says it right in there. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I don't have this in my notes, but on all flesh, isn't that beautiful? That it's not just for individual people that God chooses, uh, uh, um, not at random, but at different places. It is for all who call upon the name of the Lord. Male and female, free and slave, all people. When Joel says that God will pour it out, he wants to draw men close to him, men and women in powerful ways. And the actions of these men, the speaking of the tongues, it was just a sign of the fulfillment of what was foretold by the prophets, by a lot of different prophets, actually. When I do my calculations, and, and I may be wrong, but I see the Holy Spirit show up at least in 21 different books of the Old Testament. At least 21 books of the Old Testament I see specifically where they talk about the Holy Spirit. But Peter, being a great student and being filled with the Holy Spirit, he knew exactly to bring out Joel right here. Because this moment in time where they're speaking in tongues, where the pouring of the Holy Spirit comes upon men and women, that was the exact time that Joel was talking about. That portion of the prophecy was fulfilled. Many things after in that prophecy that Peter shared are, are still to come. But that moment was fulfilled. 
And the Holy Spirit was amongst them. And that was a powerful thing. This is what is actually happening, people. And he needed the people to understand that this is the Holy Spirit. We're not drunk. These individuals coming together, they weren't drunk. You see, the people understood who the Holy Spirit was. They understood that the Holy Spirit dwelled in, in a temple and, and dwelled with individuals. They, they were good students. They were Jews. Maybe not from Jerusalem directly. From Israel. From all different places. But they were proclaiming Jews. They understood the Old Testament. They understood that the Spirit came upon David. They understood that the Spirit dwelled with several different people and dwelled in the temple. But now, as Peter's telling them, we are the new temple. It is us. The Spirit has been poured upon us, and that's why we're speaking in tongues at this very moment. That's the particular thing that God had chosen at this moment. So we can communicate with all of you in your native tongues. This is not us. This is the Holy Spirit. And it's crucial to understand that the Holy Spirit is powerful. Peter's reminding the audience that the Holy Spirit was foretold by John the Baptist. Foretold by John the Baptist. And I know you don't see that in there. Let's get to it. He wants everyone to know that these were devout men. Nine in the morning, they're not drinking. They're not drunk. They're spending their time praying. Many of the people that were listening in the crowd, they were familiar with John the Baptist. They were familiar with his teachings. They were around in that area. And they knew. They probably remembered, like when John the Baptist spoke in in Matthew 3.11, it says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I have this cool feature on my phone. I, I, I could tell my phone something, and it will offer me a reminder. Hey Siri, remind me to grab cookies and milk when I get to Walmart. Which local business? Tap the one you want. Okay, I'll remind you when you arrive at Walmart Supercenter. So when I get to Walmart Supercenter in DeKalb, that's the one I selected, my phone, it, this imaginary geofence that's around Walmart Supercenter. My phone will actually pop up and beep and say, don't forget to get cookies and milk. Isn't that cool? So at this moment, these people, they might be having one of those moments where they're getting reminded. They're like, wait a minute. John the Baptist just told us this. He... We were being forgiven of our sins when John the Baptist... But he said someone's going to come and the Holy Spirit's going to... What? This is, this is the moment? You see, they, many of these people were from that area. And they, they were getting reminded in their head. Wow. I totally forgot about that. 
Holy Spirit. It's going to come on them. More than the prophet Joel, more than John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit was foretold by Jesus Christ. It was foretold by Jesus Christ. And, and, and we already went over this, friends, in great length and great detail in previous messages. Jesus told his disciples, I must go. I must go so a helper could come. Jesus needed to ascend to his Father so that the Holy Spirit could, could dwell within the believers, so the Holy Spirit could help in the spread of the gospel across the world. And Peter knew that people had to understand the Holy Spirit and to understand the significance of what that moment was. That it was, it was great. It was glorious. They weren't drunk on wine. But they were intoxicated with the holy God of creation. You see, if you desire to spread the gospel, and I, I shouldn't assume that you do, but if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's your obligation. It's your duty. It's your job. So if you desire to spread the gospel, you have to understand that God dwells in you. God dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. You have power given to you by the King of Kings. Peter then moves to the second part of his sermon. We don't know how long the sermon really was. You know, if you read it straight through from how Luke identifies it, I think it takes three minutes in a normal speed. And, and I'm guessing that Peter spoke a little bit longer than three minutes and the other apostles, potentially, the way it sounds in there. Luke gave us a, a very clear summary, if it's not the completion. Luke was very detailed. The second part of the sermon goes like this. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36. Follow along, it'll help you stay focused on what I'm reading here. Acts 22 verses, or excuse me, Acts 2 verses 22 through 20, or 36. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and for knowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Well, God grazed him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul in Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, 
He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he was poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. If we are to faithfully spread the gospel, if we're faithfully to spread God's great word, we should understand the significance of Jesus Christ. And Peter's really sticking it to some of these people, reminding them that they had a part in the crucifixion of Jesus. And he wants to remind everyone that Jesus Christ, <coughs> that Jesus Christ was a real person. He was real. He wasn't fictionary. He wasn't, wasn't something of his imagination. He was real, and they knew it. They, they experienced him that he was killed. They knew that too. Many of them had witnessed the crucifixion. And that he was resurrected. And they knew that too. They witnessed that. And that recently he had just ascended. Just 10 days prior to this, he had ascended to heaven. We see from this scripture that Jesus Christ performed mighty works, wonders, and signs. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. They knew it. He's just reminding them. He's coming together and, and, and connecting with them, saying, hey, you guys know this. You guys already know this. You saw it yourselves. One author put it, Miracles describe what he did as to their nature. Wonders describe what he did as to their appearance. Signs describe what he did as to their intention. As to their nature, they were miracles, mighty works. They were supernatural works, manifestations of divine power. As to their appearance, they were startling, shocking, stunning, inexplicable. As to their intention, they were there to point to Christ as being validated in his claims by God himself. You know, there's too many times, too many times where we want to share the gospel with somebody. And we want to share the gospel with them, and, and, and we don't want to, we don't want to explain the Holy Spirit. We don't want to explain who Jesus was or who Jesus is and what Jesus did. We, we may say things like, um, you want to be saved? You want to give your life to Jesus? You want to uh, go to heaven? We don't go into detail to make sure that our, the person that we're communicating with 
understands the greatness of God, understands the beauty of what the Holy Spirit, who he is. Jesus performed 37 different recorded miracles. I could be wrong on that count, but 37 different ones that were recorded, probably many, many more that, that would fill up this whole room if you were to communicate them all. And, and, and Peter knew that, that the people that were there, that he was talking to, his audience, had seen many of those miracles or knew people who had seen them. And so this was crucial information for Peter to communicate, for, for, for Peter to connect with, with the people that he was talking to. We also need to understand that Jesus Christ purposely and intentionally was sacrificed. That he was sacrificed. Acts 2.23 This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Isaiah 53, 10th, starting with verse 10, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. We need to understand that the death of Jesus Christ wasn't an if-then situation. Okay, if Adam and Eve, oh boy, you sinned, now, because of that, I'm going to have to send my son Jesus. Or, well, we've just had the flood, and now people are acting up again. Okay, I'll send my son, and this will solve it all. It, 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 that's not what the gospel is about. That's not what the plan of Jesus was about. You see, Jesus made the decision... The Trinity made the decision before the foundations of creation of what the plan was. I like <coughs> Peter's talking to, to some people that might have said, hey, free Barabbas, free him, instead of freeing Jesus. So, so they were kind of guilty of killing Jesus. They could have freed him. Remember when Jesus went to Pontius Pilate and he didn't speak to him? And Pontius Pilate is looking at him, he's like, you're not even going to talk to me? Don't you realize that I have the power to free you? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said in John 19.11, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus knew the plan. He did ask for the cup to be taken from him, but he said, Never, nevertheless, not thy will, but your will be done. He knew the anguish that he was going to have to go through as being fully man and fully God. It was the perfect plan that's always been foretold. And Peter's just reminding them that you guys didn't do this. Even though you did it, 
You didn't do it. God decided to do this before you were ever even created. This has been in the plan forever and ever and ever and ever and before that. This is the plan. This is plan A through Z. This is the only plan. And this is how we're going to do it. Many people understood that death was absolutely real. They saw the crucifixion. They witnessed the actual killing. But in the end, it was Jesus' choice to die. It was the plan the entire time. Next, we need to understand that Jesus Christ proved his sonship through his resurrection. We read that in verses 24 through 32. Peter, he wanted to make sure that the people who are hearing the words during this Pentecostal morning, that they understood that Jesus, what he did was for real. That he really was resurrected. And Peter, this is the, this is the beauty of this sermon. Not my sermon, his sermon. Is that he went back to the scriptures. He went to, to David, to, to the Psalms. And, and he quoted David. You see, when you're explaining the gospel to somebody, when, when you're trying to help somebody understand who God is, and what he has done for them, what he has done for all, go to the scriptures. Come to, come to a point of agreement, agreement on what the scriptures are saying. I always like to try to help uh, come to a point where, where the scriptures are factual, where, where the person I'm talking to believes that the scriptures are true. Because I'll always use scripture to prove scripture, and I'll use scripture to prove what I'm saying, and I will always say, oh, let's look that up in scripture. Sometimes I have, a, have the answer for, for them, and sometimes I don't have the complete answer, but I'll say, hey, let's look together. Let's see if we can find the answer about what this says in, in the Bible. And that's what Peter's doing. He reminded everyone that King David said these words. This was King David's prophecy. It wasn't Peter's. Peter's not saying in here, I, I, this is what I think. This is how I do it. This is what I do. He's saying, here's what Joel said. Here's what David said. Here's what you guys saw. He's, he's sharing the gospel in real, unique, and humble ways. Peter's emphasizing the miraculous event of the resurrection. Verse 32, read it again. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. He's reasoning with the people. So here's what I say Peter's actually saying. This is how he's saying it. People of Judea, you guys know that Jesus is real. Let me go back. 70.6% of the United States say that Jesus is real because they proclaim that they're Christians. Isn't that interesting? I was talking with my kids the other day, and I said, you know, everyone almost in the world believes that Jesus is real. And they looked at me, what? I said, what year is it? 
2017. Well, they're just talking about where we place Jesus' birth and how many years after he was born, so they believe that Jesus lived. And so, so Peter's connecting with them, and he's saying, people, Judea, you know that Jesus is real. And you guys know that he did the miracles. You saw him. Some of you experienced him. And he came back to life, even though you get, some of you guys killed him. And you know it's true because many of you got to see him. Many of you got to, to listen to him teach. And we all knew that this would happen someday. The prophets told us it was going to happen. They told us it was going to happen. And we know our scriptures. And together we all know that this isn't normal. What we're doing today, this isn't normal. Even the great King David, he couldn't even come back to life. King David, he died. He's buried and he's in Jerusalem right now. His bones. But not Jesus. Jesus came back to life. See, when you're trying to explain the gospel, you have to reason. You have to get to that point where you're reasoning back and forth and finding logic and understanding to help them understand. Use things that you guys agree on, things that are commonly known. And in this case, Peter knew that a lot of the witnesses knew about Jesus's life and death and resurrection finally we see that jesus christ prophesied that he would be seated at the hand right hand of god the father verses 33 through 36 almost done being therefore exalted at the right hand of god and having received from the father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out on you this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He offers another reminder, just another reminder, that they were witnesses of the people who were speaking in all these tongues, who were boldly proclaiming the great works of Jesus Christ, the great works of God. It was because of Jesus had ascended to sit at the right hand of his Father so the Holy Spirit can be poured and filled into the people. And that's what happened. You see, we need to understand that there's a great significance in the Holy Spirit that there's an absolutely tremendous, tremendous significance in who Jesus Christ is and in what Jesus Christ did. And when people understand that, when people understand who, they understand the Holy Spirit, they understand Jesus Christ, then there needs to be a response. There needs to be a response. We have to understand that salvation comes through a response. Acts 2.37 Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
What shall we do? Peter said to him, Repent. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are all far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day 3,000 souls. Hearers of the gospel need to react to the conviction in their hearts. When you hear the gospel, when you share the gospel, you're hoping that God will work in the hearers' hearts and will convict them. Peter said that the people in the crowd were cut to the heart. Were cut to the heart. They weren't just being emotional. And I want to point out that Peter, he wasn't creating a situation where it was going to be an emotional response only. There are, there are people who do tent revivals, and they have opening acts. And those opening acts will come up, and they will get people riled up. They will get people excited and motivated, sometimes even agitated. They'll, they'll, they'll create a frenzy of some sort. And then the pastor will come up and he'll start preaching like crazy and he'll, he'll say, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. Repent now, come on up here. And he'll, he'll bring a whole bunch of people, trying to get a whole bunch of people up here, creating an emotional response. Altar calls aren't bad. By all means, they're not bad. But when you are, are, are just moved emotionally and not cut to the heart, and not convicted, there will be no life change. We want people to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you share the information and sit back and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work, people will be convicted. I've seen it over and over. When they get convicted by him, by the Holy Spirit, as Peter says, Repent and be baptized to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Repent. Means change your heart. Change your ways. Whatever sins that you're currently engaging in, turn the other direction. Stop. Run towards Jesus. Luke said in his first volume, Luke 24, 46, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name of all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Be baptized. Repent. Be baptized. Jesus had given his disciples a great commission. You guys know that great commission, right? Go into Make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, when, when, when Peter had spoken to these people and he allowed the Holy Spirit 
to, to cut to their hearts and to convict them of their sins. After, after he reasoned with them and explained through the prophets of old and using scripture to explain what, what they're actually seeing in, in real time, 3,000 people, more than 3,000 people, gave their life to Christ that day and were baptized. You know, when, when we baptize somebody here, I let Bill know a week in advance at least so he can get the pool filled up and we actually have nice warmers that get the water nice and warm. Reggie and Molly just experienced that and it was, it was pretty warm in there. Nice work, Bill. But this day, man, there were thousands of people that needed to be baptized. Where are they getting all the water? They're bringing in, probably, they're running in, bringing water, maybe filling big old tubs. I was in Ethiopia, and we proclaimed the gospel, and, uh, and we're teaching to kids, and, and one of the girls in our group, she wanted to be baptized. She had never been baptized, and she was convicted to her heart. And one of the Ethiopian boys who was hearing the translation of our message wanted to be baptized. Well, where do you get baptized in Ethiopia? We're in the middle of, we found a little, uh, like, pool of water. I was nervous about it, or what was in that water. We did the old stick. Some of you may have done that and seen how deep it is and trying to figure out if there's going to be a sinkhole. So we baptized the young lady. It was in this huge ravine, deep down and super high walls. And so all the people were like above. And then there was this pool down at the bottom. It was awesome. We baptized the young lady who ended up getting sick, by the way, two days later. <laughs> Probably parasites. And then we were getting ready to baptize the young man in Ethiopia. And, and this young man, I don't know what his situation was, but he stripped all the way down, baby. All the way, he did not want to get those clothes wet. <laughs> okay, come on in. <laughs> and he got baptized that day. But we had some water there. I wonder where they went on that day to baptize those 3,000. But it had to be awesome. Have you been baptized? You know, many, many people have been uh, dedicated when they were young. They went to a specific church where they were dedicated and, 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 and in front of the pastor. I was, I was one of those cases. I was dedicated as a young man. But when I came to know Jesus Christ, I got baptized. I was about 21, 22 years old in front of our vacation Bible school at Helmer Lutheran Church. And I asked the pastor to baptize me because it was a commandment from God. It didn't offer me salvation. It didn't offer these people salvation. But it is a proclamation of who you are following and who you are calling as your Lord and Savior. You see, many people don't get baptized, especially like uh, when they get nervous. They don't want to go in front of the church. They think they're going to be the center of attention. I hate to tell them. Reggie and Molly, you were just recently baptized. You, you two weren't the center of attention. 
Jesus Christ is the center of attention. Jesus Christ is the center of everything. When you receive the gospel, you need to make sure to give glory to God for the results of salvation. I say it again, you are not the center of attention. It's Jesus Christ, amen? Jesus Christ is the center of attention. Well, just like the apostles, you and I are to go into all the world and repeat these steps. Repeat the same steps. Teaching people all that God has taught us, all that he has taught us through his word, all that he's taught us uh, to, to share with other people. Share how wonderful the Holy Spirit is and how, how you act differently because of who the Holy Spirit is. Tell them how beautiful Jesus is and the great works that Jesus has done. Tell them how you look forward to spending eternity with Christ, worshiping him. When someone asks you, hey, what do you do for a living? Maybe don't tell them that you're a plumber or a painter or a secretary or an artist or a teacher. Tell them that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. That you're someone who goes out and proclaims Jesus Christ and teaches his great works. And I urge you all to go into your neighborhoods. Go into your local gas stations and restaurants. Go into your local schools. Go into the, the surrounding neighborhoods. Go into other states. Head to other countries. And tell everyone about Jesus Christ. Tell everyone. Proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ, he lived, he died, he was raised again, he ascended, he sits at the right hand of God, that we get the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. We have the Holy God to live in us, and now we get to proclaim his love. Tell everyone about that.